0: gospel according to st. Luke the 10th chapter Glory Glory to you, o Lord. Lord. just then a lawyer stood up to test Jesus teacher he said what must I do to inherit eternal life he said to him what is written in the law what do you read there he answered A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and fell into the hands of robbers, who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. care of him and when I come back I will repay you whatever more you spend which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers he said the one who showed him mercy Jesus said to him go and do likewise the gospel of the Lord praise, praise to you always. O Christ you can be seated will you pray with me thank you God of abundance guide us in caring for one another unite us in your everlasting love Amen, Amen. the parable of the Good Samaritan is quite a classic I must say it's part of Luke's gospel Luke's Gospel is especially interested in how we care for the poor, which makes sense. And this parable is also a classic just in the New Testament in general. It's a story that resonates across cultures, alive with new ideas and truths that come to us each time we revisit it. And one reason why, just one, why I think the parable of the Good Samaritan is beloved is just that it's a really good story with a really compelling narrative. It offers a cast of diverse and starkly contrasted characters. You've got the priest and the Levi and the robbers who are seemingly there in the wrong, which contrasts with the good Samaritan and also the man who has been robbed, whom we are compelled to empathize with. And one of my favorite questions that we can ask when encountering scripture, especially scripture with this multiple array of characters, I like to ask myself, who or even what is on the outside of this text? I ask myself, who do we hear from and who gets to speak and who remains without a voice? This kind of question allows us to imagine the landscape of where we are, both the unseen and seen parts of the text, and allows us to think, why did Jesus tell this wonderful story the way he did? And I asked myself this question as I was writing the sermon, and the first thing that popped in my head, there's no wrong answer, the first character who doesn't really get to speak to us in this story is the road, the road itself. That's just what came on my mind and I went with it. I consider the road itself from Jericho to Jerusalem as its own character. The road doesn't speak to us, but if it did, it would have many stories to tell us, particularly stories of violence on its path. Because in fact, The path from Jerusalem to Jericho is actually known as the bloody pass because of its common association with robbers or con men. If you see it even today, it's a winding road where you don't know what's around the next turn and anything could happen. It was known as a dangerous landscape. This adds to our understanding of what the priest and the Levite were doing when they left the man for dead, essentially. Perhaps the priest and the Levite faced with dangers on this unsafe road, choose to ignore the beaten man as a form of self-preservation, choosing that over compassion because while we often portray the priest and the Levite as arrogant or ignorant we can also consider their legitimate reasons for in that instance deciding to prioritize their own safety over the safety of another on these uncertain journeys but in contrast On this way of the bloody path on the road from Jericho to Jerusalem and vice versa, we see the Samaritan choose something different. The Samaritan chooses compassion over self-preservation. He puts aside those questions of his own safety for the safety of someone else. The Samaritan doesn't ignore the beaten man. He sees him. And in the text we read, he is moved by pity, but in other translations we read, he is moved by compassion, to move closer to the man, helping him. And we can remember that when we read compassion in the New Testament, this word in the Greek actually means the twisting of our inner organs. Compassion is when our bodies respond almost biologically to what we're seeing in the world. So in that feeling of empathy and compassion, the Samaritan goes to the aid of someone who's suffering because he feels it is his responsibility to help Actually, uh, an interesting idea about this text is that Martin Luther King, Jr. writes a lot about it. And in one of his pieces of writing in a sermon that he actually gave the day before he was assassinated, MLK asks us to to think just this. He asks that the Levite was really thinking to himself and the priest, if I stop to help this man, what's going to happen to me? But then the Good Samaritan reverses the question and asks, if I do not stop to help this man, what's going to happen to him? Through this parable, Jesus invites us to embrace a profound, understanding that loving others is not on a surface level, easy, chill, going command. Loving others is a way of life, a way of living where we practice and recognize that everyone is connected to one another. The Samaritan reminds us that everyone is our neighbor and so we must stop and ask ourselves if we aren't to care for those in need what will become of them if we do not love them who will will they be okay because we in God's commandment are responsible for one another in both major and minor and connected ways. When I consider this sort of love and who we see that love exhibited by in our lives and in our culture, the first thing that came to mind in our own cultural zeitgeist was Mr. Fred Rogers as someone who exemplifies this kind of neighborly love. In fact, I remember watching on TV as a kid in a poignant episode of his famous show, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, um, a special episode that touched me, and it was actually first originally filmed in 1964, where Fred Rogers invited a black police officer on a hot day to share a wading pool together, and both put their feet in, um, and just cool off. Seems pretty simple. They share a towel at the end drying off and getting ready to go on their way. But while this is a minor scene from a beloved children's show, it's actually quite a countercultural thing as well and an important scene of neighborly love. We know this because while the Civil Rights Act had been passed in 1964, the nation was still reeling after MLK's assassination. And there was still a lot of fear surrounding desegregation. And in fact, swimming pools were often places where that segregation was in place. Indeed, there were even some white people within their own ideology who were afraid to swim alongside black swimmers and believed that the water would be tainted and carry disease by sharing that same body of water. So while legislation made desegregated swimming legal, there was still a lot of fear mongering present just in that year, and yet, With his platform and with his privilege, Mr. Rogers takes a risk. Instead of worrying about what people will say about his show, say he's just being foolish or seeking attention, Fred Rogers doesn't ask, Will I be okay? Instead, he asks, Will my neighbor be okay? Will my black sibling be okay if I do not use my platform to be inclusive and take a stance on racial equity? And so Mr. Rogers shared this kiddie pool with Officer Clemens. They cool off from the heat. And actually, I saw not the original 1964 episode, but the remake so I wasn't alive, Um, in 1996, I think, they remade the episode with the same officer, Officer Clemens, and this time, they didn't only share a towel, but Mr. Rogers asked if he could dry the feet of Officer Clemens with the towel himself, echoing in so many ways what we see modeled by Christ at the Last Supper. From this experience, Officer Clemens reflected saying, I am a black gay man, and Fred washed my feet. Fred Rogers Act echoes the Good Samaritan's compassion, challenging us to consider the consequences of choosing our own safety over the love we can share with others, to consider the consequences of not acting inclusively. And as a church community committed to openness and love on this Reconciling in Christ Sunday, we are called to live as neighbors to all. We don't ask what will happen to us if we help each other. Instead, we ask what will happen if we do not help transcending discomfort to listen and to love boldly in this our diversity becomes our strength because we rely on each other to do the work of loving even when we are pushed into new territories on unsafe roads as an open and affirming church we are called to listen We trust that as we take risks and love boldly, that as Paul writes in Romans, there is nothing, nothing on earth, nothing that will come to pass that will separate us from the love of God. And so why should we be afraid to love our neighbor? We are held in God's care as we stand with those on the outside whose voices we must hear. Beloved people, I just want to say that I have seen in this church, in the six months I've been here, I've been here for over six months, whether it be in the way you all care for each other, for the sick, for the fearful, for those without resources, I have seen so many of you take great care for us here in this church and for those beyond. And as a reconciling in Christ church, we care for all people who do not fit perfectly into the molds we've created of what a good Christian is. We say we welcome all believers, questioners, and questioning believers because in God, we are all connected and responsible to each other. The parable of the Samaritan reminds us that in God, this is most certainly true. And today we praise God for that very same strength of empathy that is growing and continuing to flourish here at St. Paul. Amen.